0: Welcome to the Watermark OC.church podcast. Thank you for listening. Well, here we are again. Good Friday. Ben uh, read a key text out of Hebrews, and he and Bucky have been doing a series uh, called Wonderful because it really speaks of the wonderful sacrifice that was made for us. And tonight, we're going to reflect, because Good Friday is a time of reflection, folks. Would you agree with me? And Ben talked about, you know, you have to go through the cross to get to the tomb, to get to the resurrection, which we'll celebrate on Sunday morning. And so, for us to reflect, you have to look. You have to look at, and you have to look in. And so we're going to look at the sacrifice, and we're going to reflect on... The most wonderful and the most terrible weekend in the history of the world. Or maybe I should say the most terrible and the most wonderful, right? Amen. So let's take a look at this sacrifice. Before Ben read Hebrews chapter 10, the the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9: still without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So this once-for-all sacrifice that he read about had to happen because the daily morning and afternoon sacrifices that the priests made for the Israelites did not take the guilt away. It did not do the job. So it brings us to this wonderful, perfect, complete sacrifice that leaves nothing undone. In 36 years of pastoring, over the years, I heard many, many people that love Jesus say to me, I wish I knew that God loved me, or I really want to experience the love of God, or there are times when I really doubt that he's there, or I wonder if he really loves me. You know, my dad or my mom were not nice to me. I'm not sure, and on and on and on, and I don't feel worthy. The list goes on. Maybe some of you can relate to this. So in these next 30 minutes, when we look at when we look at this perfect sacrifice, I hope you get your answer. And when we're done with this amazing experience of Good Friday, you walk out of here free of old chains. It's one of the reasons Jesus died. Amen? Okay, so this sacrifice is going to lead us to First Peter chapter two. Peter says this in verse 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. Okay, by his wounds you have been healed. There are two key phrases. First, that Jesus bore our sins in his body. And then, secondly, by his wounds. So, you know the question at least for us? What wounds? Jesus, by the time he got to Golgotha, had a lot of wounds. So what's Peter talking about here, right? Is it from the whip of the soldiers? Is it from the crown that Pilate had put on him? Is it from when the soldiers of the high priest were beating him? Some say they were pulling out parts of his beard. Is that it? Actually, here's what it means. That was only the beginning. By bearing our sins, it means means this. Jesus suffered the curse of sin and accepted the punishment for it. He said, I want to become the curse for all sins ever committed. All sins. Leaves nothing undone. Okay? So... No, what the soldiers did wasn't enough. God had to punish him in the only way that would satisfy divine, holy justice. And Jesus shows that what, it, what that is in Luke chapter 22 in the garden. Now, we talked a little about this last week, or last year, and I'm not going into detail on this one. But keep in mind, Luke was a physician, so he's given to detail, even medical detail. And they head into the garden, and Jesus withdrew, in verse 41, from them, Peter, James, and John, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and he prayed, and he said this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And even with this angel strengthening him, he he prayed more earnestly. And in agony, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. We talked last year about this medical condition called hematidrosis, the bloody sweat. There's so much dilation and compression in the blood vessels under stress and under pressure that they burst and the blood gets effused out into the sweat glands. It's only under the most extreme of conditions. But the thing is this, what was Jesus asking the Father? If this cup can pass, nevertheless, your will, not mine. Now, I once heard that the cup was... That when Jesus hung on the cross, God the Father was going to do this. Turn his back on him. If that were all it was, then Jesus would not have said that. Because that's not what the cup symbolizes in scriptures. Okay, It's actually much worse. The cup is a symbol of suffering under divine anger. Let me say that again. When the word cup is used as a symbol in scripture, because he didn't mean literally, it is a symbol of suffering under divine anger. Uh, There's no worse way to suffer than when the holy God is in furious anger. Would you agree? Paul said, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So don't do it, talking about his judgment, all right? But what does this mean? We go back to the Old Testament to get a picture of the cup. And Isaiah, who had these incredible prophetic visions of, of Jesus coming as Messiah, he's speaking to Israel about the judgment that rests upon them in chapter 51, verse 17. And he says, Wake yourself, wake yourself. In other words, wake up from your sin and start repenting, he's saying. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. That's a whole nation under judgment, and they were because first the Assyrians took the northern kingdom, then the Babylonians sacked the southern kingdom, and they took everybody away and enslaved them. You who have drunk of the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. This is the cup of death. When you drink God's wrath, to the point of staggering here, you don't get up from a drunken stupor. That's not what this is talking about. This is a metaphor, folks. The fury of holy anger. It wasn't just that God turned his back on Jesus when he hung from the tree suspended as a curse. God was angry at the sins of men. God looked for a way to punish them because all of those sacrifices the priests offered never, ever did the job. And so this this judgment from God, you know what this is? It's aggressive punishment from the throne of heaven. You and I wouldn't last that long. In Psalm 75, the psalmist says this, verse 7. It is God who executes judgment over nations and over all. And then, verse 8, listen to this. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine. Now, the picture of foaming wine is not a good one because that's not the way wine should be drunk. This speaks of a poisonous potion. In the hand of the Lord there is a cup of foaming wine of death, of wrath well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. This is the cup, Jesus said, could this pass? Nevertheless, I will drink the cup of your fury, the foaming wine, down to the dregs, the sediments at the bottom, the last drop, and I'll lick the bottom of the cup to make sure there's none undone. That there isn't one sin anyone ever committed or anyone will, including you and me, commit that I will not suffer for on that cross. So, Father, punish me as if I am the curse. wow. This is the result of when God starts to pour his fury on Jesus on the cross. And remember what happened once he's on the cross? It gets dark, right? For three hours, the earth is dark. And then incredible things happen at the end. Chapter 53 of Isaiah, he says this, and I'm sure you've read this. He's talking about Jesus despised and rejected, and we didn't recognize him. We didn't recognize him. Whatever God did to punish Jesus' body because of the sins that he carried in him, he became sin, disfigured him to the point where he was not recognizable. If it were that goat offered on Passover, how long would he last under that wrath? he dissolved like that. It only had to be that perfect, complete sacrifice that Ben read about. And so look at what he says here in verse 4. Surely he, the Lamb of God, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed... For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that bought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He goes on to say in verse 10, a few verses later, he's kind of summarizing this. Yes, it was the will of the Lord to crush his son. He has put him into grief. So it was. God the Father's will to actually hurt his son in ways we can't even imagine for you and me. For you and me. The only way you can discover this is by reading the scriptures. Because that's where Jesus is revealed to us. You, You can't sit in a dark room and meditate and say, Lord, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Unless you understand what happened. Unless the Bible shows you what Good Friday was all about. Anybody with me here? Are you hearing me? there's <clears throat> there's nothing better and there's nothing worse so where does that leave us at the end of those horrific hours when jesus said it is finished and that wrath that had been poured out to him exploded into the earth when Jesus gave up the Spirit. It says, literally, listen to what happened, folks. Rocks were split. The earthquake was so bad, they were split. There were dead saints from days gone by that came up out of the graves and were seen walking through Jerusalem. I mean, it's like a zombie movie. That is how much Jesus suffered, that there was nothing. Nothing in the universe that could contain the human soul from the presence of God anymore. Nothing could keep us. The veil of the curtain was ripped when he said, it's done. The centurion that was guarding the cross, by the way, if he didn't do his job, he loses his life. This was the toughest army on planet Earth. He's witnessing this, this cataclysmic event. You can't even describe it. And he says, whoa surely this is the Son of God. Yeah, you bet. I wonder what made him think that. You know, if you take the the most incredible fantasy sci-fi movie and add the worst horror story and the goriest scenes ever and put them all into one film, it would be like a PBS children's show compared to Whatever God did to his son. So, why do you think he did it? See, here's where we struggle with, I just want to make sure I'm I'm worthy of something. And people don't like what I say, because, well, I want to tell you what you're worthy of. You're worthy of death, just like I am. Paul said, there's nothing good that dwells in me. And when I was dead in my sins, he told the Ephesians, When I was a vile, wicked human being like everyone else that had ever lived, when I was a son or daughter of the devil, by nature a child of wrath. Wow, that sounds like somebody with real self-worth. The next verse, Paul says this, But God, two of the greatest words ever written right there because you want to jump off the nearest cliff when you read the first three verses. Well, this is who I am? Yeah. We're all treasonous. Every one of us has sinned against the Creator. Everyone. But God, in His infinite mercy, in other words, mercy you can't measure, with the love with which He loved us, gave Himself for us, and paid the price, is the gift of grace for by grace you've been saved by faith it has nothing to do with you or your works all from him so that no man could boast so tonight we're boasting about the fact that without jesus we are hopeless we are needy people can anyone agree with me if you agree with me raise your hand that you need jesus and those that haven't raised your hands you're out of your minds I'm telling you. Because here's the thing. Don't forget this. Before we have our amazing experience here. The punishment that God gave to Jesus was intended for every man and woman ever born. When me, when I called on Jesus on December 12, 1979, I said, I'm a wicked, no good sinner. I'm doomed. I have no hope. I need a Savior. I'm giving you my sins. Please give me eternal life. The great exchange of the cross. Jesus made me one of his own, but God in his infinite mercy. But remember that cup of wrath, folks? For those that reject Jesus in this lifetime, that's what they get in eternity. Now who, in their right mind, would sign up for that? This is probably uncomfortable a little. It should be. Because to get to the good news of the gospel, that Jesus paid it all and he rose from the dead, and now that eternal life in him is passed on to anyone who believes, we have to first hear the bad news that we are sinners, hopelessly doomed without a Savior. Period. Gospel. The bad news gets you to the good news. So the bad news wasn't that Jesus suffered an incomparable death. That's terrible news, but incredible news. The bad news is it should have been me. I'm guessing by the stares you're giving me, you're kind of tracking with me right here. So the gospel should make us a little uncomfortable. Right? Right? This coming year, there are people you love. You want to introduce them to Jesus. I want to appeal to you. Be honest with them. Tell them the gospel. Say, I've got really bad news and good news. Which one do you want to hear first? And if they say the the good news, say, no, I'm going to tell you the bad news first. (laughs) I'm laughing. You aren't. So then at the end, Jesus said, it is finished. And for you and me, if you have committed your life to Christ, it is finished. And you know what it does not mean? Because I gave my life to Jesus, I'm never going to sin again. In our culture, people accuse Christians of being self-righteous, arrogant fools, like we're better than others, and I say, actually, we aren't. I mean, I've just received his mercy. I'm forgiven. You can be forgiven. It's between you and him. I didn't do anything to get forgiven. He did it for me. But if you believe, it really is finished. And if you ran over someone's cat on the way to service tonight, and you feel terrible about it, it's a little bit of sick humor. Does Jesus love you any less? Right? Right? If you had a bad week and you did something you really regret, can God possibly love you any less than he did on the cross when he crushed his own son for whatever sins you and I were going to commit this week? It is impossible for God to stop loving me with an eternal love that you can't even measure, or he's not God, he's a liar. And my money is on him. So... You and I, it is finished. Now, in front of you, in the little slots on your chairs, there is some white paper. I had it here. Here it is, white piece of uh, paper. And there are pens. And here, in here, there are two crosses... And next to the crosses, there are baskets with nails and there are hammers. No, we don't want anyone nailing themselves to the cross. That was already done. I read about in the Philippines, it happens every year, Roman Catholics literally have themselves nailed to the cross. Folks, it's done. It's done. But this is an opportunity for us to consider and go through an exercise that will break old chains. I give him on this sheet of paper my worst, my darkest sins, my worst thoughts, my greatest torments, my biggest failures and regrets in life. Uh, You don't have to write a long letter, just like one or two words. My idols. I'm willing to bet every one of us in here has some kind of idol. Right? I mean, yesterday was opening day. Man, the Yankees won. I was pumped. Some might say they're an idol to me. I'll see you later. But what if it is? What if it is? Write it down. Write anything down. Unburden yourself. Don't put your name on it. It's between you and the one who suffered everything. You give him whatever your worst is. Take a 30-45 seconds to really meditate on this write those things down then you come up here and literally with one of those nails, nail that and then get up from the cross and you receive from Him on either side at the communion table the symbols of eternal life and covenant blessing the blood and the body of Christ right there write them down be honest. Say, Lord, I'm repenting of all of this. I'm leaving it at the cross, whatever it is. Even your biggest failure that it wasn't a sin. It doesn't matter. Whatever is there heavy on you, give it up, exchange it and receive his best. John will be playing. And then in a little bit, he will call you to go up to the crosses, either side here. And then when you finish that, go over to the table, take the the cracker and the cup, go off to the side and pray and say, Father, thank you, it is done. I've given you all that stuff because of how you crushed your son. You are giving me incredible covenant blessings the rest of my days. Let's pray. Father, we are awed. Good Friday was a terrible day. And yet, the earth, the universe, the creation was awed by it. Jesus has conquered everything. There is nothing He has not paid for. You've not. There's nothing we've done. You have not punished your son for. So, forgive us for holding back. We we put it on paper symbolically. We bring it to the cross. We turn from it. We receive from you the blessings of the cup. And the body of eternal life in Jesus' name. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.